the best teams are built around a winning mentality, but that's not where it starts. It starts with how your team and how your athletes engage in your team culture. And that starts with athlete level policies. We're going to show you exactly how to build yours this week on Tournament Talk. This is the Tournament Talk podcast, where your hosts, Tyler Childs and Sean Sinclair, are on a mission to help you make sense of the tournament world, save you time and money by helping you make all the right decisions to streamline and maximize your tournament business, team, club, or lifestyle. Let's get down and start winning at everything. Welcome back to another episode of Tournament Talk. It's Tyler Childs here, the attorney boss with Sean Sinclair. Uh, make sure you're following him on all social media platforms at sport-sean. Uh, Sean, this is a fun one for us. We're both um, amateur level athletes. And so I think we could be still kicking, still kicking too. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if people will let us go and play, that's we true, would that's be there true, in a yeah. second. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a, a, a good topic because we talk about it all the time. And some of the things that we see, um, behind the scenes with, with what we do and, and the, the fact that we still play, we, we have a really interesting perspective on, on team policy, athlete level policy. Uh, and this is the first part of, we're still trying to decide between a four or five part series <laughs> of, of policy around teams and, and grassroots sports. So the first one and probably the most important one is your athlete level policy. So uh, let's dive right in today and, and get into what that means. And I think, the first topic and probably the most important topic is player conduct. And so any team or athlete level policy needs to have team contact or team conduct level policy in place. So what, what are you expecting of your athletes to um, hold themselves in the community? How do you expect them to interact with people around them, whether it be on their team, whether it be uh, people in the community or their coaches or their parents, et cetera. So um Sean, what, what do you think the most important piece of a player-level conduct policy is? Uh, if you were building from scratch, what's the first move? Uh, I think it's going to be how that athlete, you know, handles himself on that team, right? And what I kind of mean by that is, you know, how are you showing up to tryouts from day one? How are you showing up to practices? How you interact with the rest of your teammates while you're at practice and while you're at games, right? Are, are you coachable? Are you, you know, listening to what the coach says, put your head down and do it, even if you don't agree with it, uh, or are you back talking and melting off and just, you know, causing disturbances, you know, at every single practice because you don't agree with, you know, X, Y, Z. Exactly. And, and it's one of those things too. And, and you hit on it a little, uh, it's the thing I've harped on for a long time. And we've definitely mentioned in previous episodes is the fact that coaches, organizations, et cetera, aren't doing these policies ahead of the curve, right? So mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're starting with a player conduct policy, it needs to start at tryouts, as you said. Like it needs to start the minute they take that field. Here is what we expect of athletes on this team and or in this program, right? So if you're running a bigger organization, association, whatever, those waivers or policies need to be signed sealed and delivered before they even take play because if you're trying to take a bunch of people and put them together and you're not asking them to conform to that team level policy for the long haul you've already lost them right you're not gonna be able to change them later they need to understand that's the expectation when they step into the room and the yankees 
have probably one of the most famous player policies, which is no facial hair, right? Mm-hmm. So like that's a you great would not example. fit in well there. No, there's, there's, I hate the Yankees. Yankees suck, right? Like I, I have no problem going at the Yankees on that one. Uh, I would grow a beard just so I couldn't play for them, <laughs> right? So that's yeah. how I feel about that one. But that's a different animal. Um, but it, but it's bang on though, right? Like if if the Yankees were to say in 2020, no facial hair, that would be tough sell. But I mean, that policy has been around for many, many years. I actually think that I need to look that up. What year did it actually start? Or has it always been from day one? I'd be curious about that. Um, And if somebody wants to shoot me a message uh, on Twitter, attorney boss, I'd love to hear uh, if you, if you can do the research on that one for me. Um, But that said, that's a policy that when you walk into those doors in Yankee stadium or into their practice facility, wherever that is, um, you know that you have to be clean shaven. And the same goes for a tryout scenario. We will not accept players doing X. We will not expect them dressed in shorts or whatever. Like those are things that need to be outlined and, and sent to the parents ahead of time. So the kid is prepared when they arrive. So there is a little level of, of this at this component on the front end of it that the parents are, are coaching their children through that when they arrive. So, um, you know, I know hockey has famous ones, like we show up in a shirt and a tie, you know, those are things that started within that level of grassroots sport and you started to see it carry into other ones. Uh, but I think it's the big thing to take away here is that the player level conduct needs to start the minute they're associated with your team, regardless of whether they've made the squad or not. Uh, they, they need to be associated with that. And, and it should trickle down to them at, at a higher scale. Like this is what I need to do to be held at that level. And, and it speaks to your program as well. So with all of that, do you think that um, there's, there's room for this? Do you think coaches miss on this a lot? Um, and, and where do you think it backfires the most by not having these things in place? I think it's going to backfire the, the most is when coaches try to, you know, implement something halfway through a season or eventually finally are able to, you know, voice something that they've been trying to for, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, uh, or we're going into playoffs and you're like, guys, we need to be doing this. And, but we haven't been doing that all year. Right. And yeah. so I think, you know, being able to establish that upfront and create that, you know, team culture and having your players buy in. So if I'm a player and I've, you know, read this policy or my, you know, mom and dad has read this to me, you know, it's going to show, you know, maturity as an athlete, if you're a 12 year old and there's certain, you know, policies that are already in place and that athlete shows up with what you're looking for or is, you know, an hour and a half early or 45 minutes or whatever you've dictated and ready to play and not rolling in and slides and a McDonald's drink and then changing on the bench, something like that. Right. So if those things are in place, your job as a coach, it is going to be that much easier. You don't have to worry about all these other things, getting everyone in line, getting them ready, and then start practice and then get ready for the game. You're ready to go and you have their attention way earlier. Well, and that's one of my favorite things that I've seen in the past, which is just be present, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when you arrive to be a part of this team, you're ready to go. You're not getting prepared. You are prepared. The minute you yeah. arrive, we're here um, it's almost a business mentality, but you know, it's especially important when you're dealing with kids, right? Like they're so busy and their minds go everywhere. They're not as disciplined as adults and even adults aren't disciplined. Right. So if you can take that and start to coach that in these kids, 
like not only are you going to make them a better athlete, you're just going to make them a better human being. And that's yeah. really, you know, a side product or a byproduct of, of being a coach is helping them through life in general. So um, it's, it's a huge piece of the puzzle to build that expectation from day one as to how you get them in there. So the one thing that, that I think you start with what their expectation is when they arrive, um, what time they need to arrive, do they need to be in their equipment or gear or whatever, depending on your sport? Um, is there a period of time before where uh, they have to, to be working with their, their coach or their uh, other teammates or whatever for stretching, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of those things need to be documented. And a lot of coaches just say, Hey, here's the expectation. Well, that's great. Um, but it doesn't set you apart as an organization. It is wishy-washy. And it's definitely not um, installed in the way you want to hold people accountable. So uh, businesses have done this for years in organizational policies and other things. And at the end of the day, most of them are designed to have something to fall back on, right? It's, it, you don't use it to walk up at practice, holding a piece of paper and say, hey, you signed this. It's to say, hey, you haven't done this over this period of time. This is what the expectation was that you signed off on here's the change I expect. And here's the outcome. If you do not follow the rules, uh, that's what it's for. It's not, it's not um, martial law or anything like that. <laughs> right. It's just, it's there to support the team. That's what it's about. And it starts with the athletes. So um, beyond that uh, we talk about the mentality. That's really what we've covered so far when they arrive, um, how they need to treat the experience with the team now let's talk about the interactions with their actual teammates, right? Cause I think that one um, at younger ages, more so than older ages, I think is, is really important because I think at the younger ages, there's still a little pecking order going on in terms mm-hmm. of the social dynamics of, of a group of people and kids take time to find their own and all of that. As you get to the older age groups, like, listen, if there's a problem, uh, they're going to deal with it. Right. Yep. And, and whether it's in a, approved way or, or they're going to be just teenagers. It doesn't, you know, those are things that are going to happen regardless. So um, the thing that I, I would say is, you know, make sure you have a teammate code of conduct as well inside of that player code of conduct, because how they treat and, and deal with um, disputes is definitely going to be a good learning opportunity for them. And I know one of my fears for the future of sport is the helicopter parent and teaching kids from day one to solve their own problems is a huge piece of what everyone in our industry needs to want to have a part of because it's not only a problem within the team dynamic it's a problem within our social dynamic that our future athletes children etc are just missing um, the accountability component in a lot of cases right? Like the famous one for me that I love is James Harrison, right? I don't know if you remember this one. Um, his two kids played flag football, I believe, or might've been just like Pop Warner type thing. I can't remember what level it was, but they received an eighth place, eighth place trophy and he made them take yeah, it. Yeah. 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 I remember that. And I, I love that, right? Yeah. Because I, like for me, and I talk about this quite a bit for me, losing is the greatest lesson. Like no one mm-hmm. likes to lose. I hate losing, but I like what comes after losing and that's learning and getting better. And that's the piece. Like everyone's trying to protect these kids from 
the the oh that's so sad he lost like she lost whatever but they need to learn that they need to know how to come back from that mm-hmm. and so you take that to a teammate to teammate level they need to also have that with social conflict as well right so um sean you've got two young kids and i think you probably deal with this social con- or conflict all the time um, <laughs> is in terms of this is my toy. It's my turn, et cetera. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so maybe you can tie into how this fits for you as a parent and then ultimately as a coach as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's a, a deep one to get into and we could spend hours on, you know, parenting and coaching on that specific <laughs> one, but you know, I think it's, and as a coach, you know, you're going to be, dictating and modeling certain behaviors that you're trying to to get out of your athletes and you know there's going to be times where you know I think the athletes seem to be you know sat down and you know talked to and hey this is what we should have done this is what we're looking for this is how I'd like you to um, you know act in this situation and then there's going to be other times where they're going to step back and just see how it plays out right and that's I think kind of what you're talking to is you know some self-accountability and if you know we're we're out there and there's an error, right, or a kid makes a mistake, and that athlete starts to coach a little bit, right? Oh, let's try this. You should have done this. You know, then I think that's you know the coach's job now to kind of eavesdrop a little bit, see where they're heading, and see if they can kind of work something out themselves, exactly. right? I mean, that's you know a coach is there because they're knowledgeable and you know ideally more knowledgeable than the players, but I know that's not always the case, (laughs) but you know, they should be right. So as they're looking at that and saying like, Hey, this is kind of what I've been coaching. Now I see the other two kids reiterating that or explaining it maybe in just different words, right. Or showing them a little bit different, um, you know, being open to that, you know, that feedback as an athlete, uh, it's just going to help them grow so much further than just getting the, the same message from the coach, you know, day in and day out. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, my childhood brings a really unique perspective to it because I've mentioned before, like I have a childhood friend that lived three doors down from me. We were both brothers and mortal enemies all at the same time (laughs) because we were so competitive and we fought each other on everything to be better. And people confused it with like being psychotic or weird or whatever. And really we were just pushing each other and we still to this day do that. Um, and, and it's one thing that I, that group of guys that I grew up playing sports with, I think we were kind of a unique group that way, because I've played with many groups since, and we were just so constructive of each other, whether we were being harsh or, or just saying, Hey, try this or whatever, but we were always trying to get better. And then Mm -hmm. from a coaching perspective, we went through a couple different coaches, mainly our parents cycled through because very few of them could handle us long-term, right? <laughs> and so my dad, who was probably of the group of dads, the most like, let's have fun kind of guy, um, he didn't last long on this yeah. this coaching journey with us because it wasn't what we were after as a team, right? And so he did a lot of listening and trying to like, hey guys, try to have fun. And we're like, no, trying to win. That's That was the mentality of the squad. So we were better suited for different scenarios. But we learned at an early age how to coach each other. And mm-hmm. although we didn't have a policy in place, um, it was what we did. And that's where I think as a coach, people miss the opportunity to delegate, right? Like you've mm-hmm. got leaders and I, I coached with a guy a couple of years ago and he had the best line. I've told you this one. 
the best line I've ever heard from a coach was, um, I need everyone to line up in alphabetical order, tallest to shortest. And he said, <laughs> it's hilarious because you've got a whole bunch of kids that run every different direction trying to figure this thing out. But he said, you always find out who your leaders are. And yeah. so that's the type of interaction that if you, if you put them out there and you put this into a policy and you let them just figure stuff out, they're going to end up being like what I grew up with versus the, the kids that need, okay, throw this here or pass the puck here or do this. And they need that constant guidance. They're never going to be elite ever because mm -hmm. they don't have that structure. So that's why I think that one for me is so important because it's a building block for so much more. Well, yeah, it also comes, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was all good there. Yeah. I mean, it, that kind of branches off of like that player conduct and what you expect from those kids at practice. If you're asking them to show up and be present and give their best every time and not, you know, take a playoff or, you know, I'm going to, you know, half-ass this, uh, this next drill so that if you are now trying to turn around and coach a kid, but you're looking like, you know, subpar and you're not trying then that's going to bring the group down, right? Yeah. But if everyone is there and they're, you know, putting it all out there and doing, you know, giving 110%, all these cliche terms, but those kids who maybe need help are going to look at everyone around them and say like, wow, these guys are, you know, busting it out here. I'm going to now try and emulate, you know, whether it's just the, uh, the actual action that they're doing, that I need to hit it this way, step this way, catch it like this. Or just, I need to bring more effort to a practice. Yeah. And then well, that's I, how you, you know, elevate your game. Exactly. And I, and I think it, that accountability goes a long way, right? Like, you know how intense I am when we play. Mm -hmm. Like, I would expect that others, and, and you're too nice, so you wouldn't do it, but others would <laughs> yeah. hold me accountable when I'm not being up to my expectation for myself, right? So, like, that's, that's what I, I expect in that. And I think this, again, is the building block of, of getting comfortable with that interaction because it isn't easy, right? Like, I, I don't know what, you know, I remember it very distinctly, but as a teenager, it's so uncomfortable calling out your friends because yeah, it's such yeah. a weird social dynamic and holding them accountable and all of that fun stuff. But, you know, this, this is how you get there, right? Is by, mm -hmm. by outlining these things and coaching the kids through the conflict resolution phase. And I, I think it's absolutely essential. And I think it's one of the most, overlooked things in the whole coaching spectrum in my opinion so make sure you have that included so we've talked about yeah. so far um just player contact how they're holding themselves as a human being how they're interacting with their teammates now let's talk about interactions with their coaches right so i think something you see uh probably most in the south right is the yes sir type mentality mm -hmm. um it, i don't know that you necessarily need to go that far but outlining what the expectation for a player coach interaction looks like what the conduct should be what the penalties are if you're lippy to a coach what does that mean right yeah. does it mean it could result in reduced playing time does it mean you will do push-ups or you will do poles like baseball um or you'll get bag skate or whatever it is for your sport uh, you know what are some of the things that you've seen coach wise that you really like um and maybe some of the things that you don't like yeah, I, I don't love, and this is, I know, very old school, but I don't love, like, physical punishment um, and singling out a player. And I don't know if it's, it's not that, like, I think you're, you know, shaming this kid or anything, but I think 
you know, just putting them under, you know, potentially more stress if you've already run a hard practice or anything like that. I'm kind of looking at like, what is the total volume of, you know, work that they're doing, right? If we've already run a ton and they're trying to, you know, uh, increase their fitness and their playing time and doing something on their own. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, a hundred pushups or something that you have to do. It, you potentially just, you know, lead to some injuries that way. Right. And I think well, you're, yeah. a coach is trying to make a point, right? Right. So I would rather see, yeah, we don't need injuries just to, to kind of penalize. What I like is when, you know, if somebody messes up and there is going to be some sort of physical penalty that it's inclusive of the group. Right. Yeah, so, so like, you know, one of the ones, yeah, sorry, go ahead. one of the ones yeah. that I saw in the past, though, I got a really good one. So I'll let you finish and I'll jump in. <laughs> well, I just mean, you know, if we are going to run polls and, you know, it's always going to be this number of polls, like, okay. The team is running, but maybe it's not as many. Or the team, okay, we're going to hold some planks, and now we're going to talk about what happened and why we're all doing a plank, right? Because you are a team, right? And yeah. you know, the as a as the kid, you know, I took punishments, right? Whether it was from a coach, not really a coach, because I'm too nice for that kind of stuff, right? I put my head down and I did my work, and I never said <laughs> anything, right? But you know, from a teacher, parents, you know, you, everyone kind of got in trouble, and you you know, take your lickings and move on. It never really affected me too much but if i ever did anything to make the team suffer or put them out like i would feel terrible for weeks and weeks right so, so I, I one time with, and that's all it's gonna happen exactly and i coached with an old school basketball coach a while ago he was coaching baseball with me but uh one of the things that he did was he had coached at a rougher neighborhood high school and one of the things that they did was that they had a good setup in the school where they could run a lap around the school after hours when there was no classes in and stuff. And it would always be the fault of, of one person. Mm -hmm. Right. And he had said, you know, it was old school, right. And in definitely you can get yourself into trouble with some of the things that have been out there in the past couple of years. But um, the one kid would always come back with some bruises or whatever <laughs> because the rest of the team would take it out on them on the run. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so like, I agree with you though, like that, again, it comes back to that accountability thing we just touched on, but you know, at the same time, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that team um, win and lose together mentality. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. I, I like that a lot, but one of the things that, that I always like to do as a coach and it comes to the player conduct, it also comes to the sum of stuff we'll talk about when we get into parent policies as well. Um, I think playing time is in, in 2020 is the most underutilized, uh, motivator. And it's because we live in an environment now where it's not okay to have uneven playing time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's where team policies are so important is you have to have, here is what we're going to be doing. Either we're playing to win or we're playing for everybody to have equal opportunity to develop or we're doing some sort of hybrid somewhere in between, which is probably the majority, I think. Um, but with all of that, like the thing that, that always I love, love, love to do, and you only do it once because it is pretty traumatic, is pulling a kid off the field in the middle of an inning. It is mm -hmm. the most traumatic yeah. thing you can do to a kid, and they do not do it ever again. I can promise you that because it is the worst feeling. It's happened to me. It's why yeah. I use it because I know what it feels like. <laughs> But having a kid march in from center field because they didn't back something up that you've talked to them a hundred times about mm -hmm. backing something up, 
is, is the thing that you can always hold over people's heads. And what I really like to do it, depending on the format, like if you're not in, you know, in baseball, if if you pull somebody, depending on the way the lineup is set, you, they might be gone or you can bring them back. Yeah. So what I really like to do is you pull them off, you make your point and you put them right back in. Right. And they play like, you know, they've yeah. they're gangbusters yeah. after that. <laughs> right. But it, 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 you have to have that ability to punish the kid in the way that you outline. And those are the things that you have to communicate to the child as a coach. Right. And the player has to sign off on that's where the coach level policy is important for a player. I understand that coach is the law. I understand this is what happens if I lip off to coach. I understand what happens if I'm late, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those are the things that coaches don't do. They say, right. They say, but they do not get the kid to enter into that agreement outside of, yeah, yeah coach, I'll put my hand up like everybody else that I understand. Right. And that's not enough to, to give these kids the guidance that you want. Right. And so uh, it also helps you if, and when you get into a discussion with the parent about these topics, well, listen, you as a parent, here's the parent policy. You as an athlete, here's the athlete policy. This is why I did it. That's what our team's about. And we're going to stand by that. So you now have backing that everyone has entered into an understanding of this. And then the onus is on the kid and the parent to correct that behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, having something and knowing it going in is going to make that difference. Whereas if you're throwing this at the last minute, then that's when I think you're those conflicts and those, you know, emails to the coach or the organization happen later where all of a sudden uh, a parent feels like that kid is being targeted because this, you know, non-existent policy was all of a sudden thrown at the team now and like, Oh, how come my kid got benched on this weekend? But two weeks ago, you know, Johnny did the same thing uh, and nothing happened that way. Right. Exactly. And in the last part on that topic, and it integrates both the personal conduct and the coach relationship. And I think is, is again, um, the best way to coach a child through these things is how do they set up time to talk to their coach about their problems? right? Because again, we talked about the helicopter thing earlier. The one thing that I always like to do with athletes is sit them down in a scenario where it's one-on-one. -on -one, they don't have the social pressure around them. And you say, what do you need me to do better as a coach? Or likewise, they're coming to you with a, Hey, can we do this instead? Love that. Like, I, I know I've told you this story. So there's the famous scene in major league, right? At the end where Jake Taylor drops down the bunt, and yeah. Willie Mays Hayes comes home on a button steel, button steel or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I had a 12 year old bring that to me in the middle of a game because I had empowered them to do that. It Amazing. was the greatest thing. And guess what? There was two outs in the bottom <laughs> of the seventh, which is the last inning of that age group of the championship of a tournament. And we walked it off with that play <laughs> and it was awesome. And, and like, I couldn't have been more jacked for that kid because he yeah. knew he called the play and I was, and, and he was the we had the right two players in the right scenario to do it and it was awesome it worked out perfectly and it was one of those ones where I'm like damn I wish I would have thought of that yeah. <laughs> so, you know so but you know that's but that's what you're enabling right is is giving them that ability to have counsel with you and and it's important right and it's yeah. important for your players to hold you accountable as a coach so giving them that policy to do that is important um understanding they have the power to come to you because most kids are just afraid to, right. Mm -hmm. They just don't know that that's a, that's an option. Um, so, so help them coach them through it. I, I love this conversation because as a coach, it's, it's the thing that I believe in the most is that it's a two way street in order for 
it to be great. And I know there's professional coaches out there like uh, Francona of the Cleveland Indians is well known as a player's coach. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see it. He's, he loves his players. He loves what he does, but it's a two way interaction. And that's, that's how you, you win with your athletes and ultimately yeah. your athletes win. I think it also sets them up. I mean, let's branch outside of the game just for a quick second. But if you're able to, you know, put your ideas out there and offer your own feedback, whether it's on your coaching style or what the coach has done or bringing new ideas to the table, like you just talked about, that's going to translate to, you know, whether it's their first jobs or entry level jobs, but really carry through their careers. If you can bring new ideas to the table, offer your, you know, feedback and opinions and, you know, just bring more to that company or wherever you're at. Um, that's going to get you so much further ahead than just kind of going with the flow and doing what you're told. Life skills, right? Life skills. Yeah. Like yeah. It's such a small percentage of these athletes are going pro, right? So yeah. Yeah. can you help them go pro in some other part of life? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the goal here. So yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, the one last thing on the player conduct is what's happening when they're away from the field. So you're talking about setting them up for life, but what about just interacting with the rest of life? So most kids, you know, are proud to be part of an organization. They wear the hat, they wear the shirt, they wear the jersey, whatever, out in the community. And so talking about how you want to uh, have them carry themselves to represent your program, your team, whatever, that needs to happen, right? And it needs to be understood that these policies we have in place, uh, code of conduct wise, apply to things that happen in the community as well. So if you're out, you know, depending on your age groups, right? You could have something like, hey, I got a 16-year-old kid rocking logoed up gear that was drinking underage. Mm-hmm. What happens with that? Well, you're logoed up. Like, first off, like, there could be consequences in your program just if he's not logoed up or she's logoed up, right? But likewise, um, and that's up to you as an organization to decide what's too much for you to police and what, you know, beyond that. But, um, you know, having those things that like, hey, if you get into trouble with the law or with school or whatever, that impacts your playing as well and so make sure you talk about what happens when they're wearing or flying the flag or whatever and and make sure that that's a part of this policy as well because it's certainly overlooked and and it's definitely one that has a bigger impact in, in setting your reputation for your organization so that when some other kid from the community comes in and they put that hat on at the first tryout or whatever they know what the expectation is because it's been set already in your community yeah. And, you know, the, the kids are going to recognize that if you've created this culture and, you know, everyone wearing, you know, the, the Bruins hat, uh, you know, not Boston because they suck, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're wearing their hat and you see them at school or, you know, whatever that is, and they carry themselves a certain way, you know, as someone who's, uh, think I want to go try it for this team. It looks like a great organization and you see them all, themselves a certain way and not doing some of the the things that you know kids shouldn't be getting into or you know as things start to happen you know happens at school all the time where something kind of you know is happening fights or whatever that looks like and those kids all of a sudden disappear right they don't want to be a part of it they know how to you know stay out of trouble you know those are the kids that you want to emulate and kind of look up to in a way and say like hey something's going on at that organization and they're instilling a, a fantastic culture. Um, and, you know, if you're old enough to kind of recognize these things, but you know, this is definitely a, an organization that I want to be a part of. Absolutely. And I know we talked about before we jumped on one of my favorites out there that I've seen 
to cover this topic is, is the NAIA's champion of character. It's a wonderful program and you should go and and review it and learn from it because it's really powerful. Uh, Don't copy it. It's trademarked. It's very (laughs) bad to copy it. Um, But it's a great thing to learn from and they do a wonderful job with it. And within our business, we've worked in the NAI space, taking teams around the country. And one of the things that we've learned from and grown from is that part of our events that is actually a community driven volunteerism component. And, and we learned from the NAIA and installed that as well. So uh, it's certainly a really good program. And it's things that you can teach your children, your kids, your athletes at a very young age to be a bigger part of their community. And, you know, if you look at the professional athletes, like who are the ones that are, are the most revered? They're all the ones that are in their community knee deep doing all these things. And, and listen, there's some of them that are just there for the PR but the gross majority of them are legitimately doing good in their community. So if you can instill that from a young age and, and even build that volunteerism component into it, you're light, night and day ahead of it, but certainly spend some time on the NII website, learn about their champions of character program. It is a great teaching tool to work off of. So uh, yeah, I covered- can't tell you, I've seen, sorry, I've seen a, a bunch of that on Instagram and, and Facebook and stuff where, you know, it'll be a, a team volunteering and they're cleaning up a park or they're volunteering at, uh, I saw an animal shelter, a bunch of them were, were helping at one time. It, it's just really cool, right? So it's the exact same thing as what the NAI, NAI is doing. It's just getting the kids out there, experiencing things that they normally wouldn't have. I know a lot of, um, you know, kids don't have some of those opportunities even to you know, and it's volunteer work. It's not like you have to apply, but you know, they just don't have that opportunity, but now a coach or an organization as a whole can bring them and have them experience something outside of their immediate circle. Uh, again, it's these life skills and they're going to, you know, parlay so much further than the game. And it's two pronged too, right? Like we do a lot of stuff with the boys and girls club and, you know, you've got a whole bunch of underprivileged kids that are, you know, looking for that outlet. And then you have, you know, in a lot of cases of what we're talking about, higher level athletes. So with the NAI or the, the college level kids that we're working with, we're taking them in. These, these are essentially professional level athletes to these kids, right? Yeah. And it does a lot because you've got a bunch of kids that realize like, holy crap, I'm spoiled. Like this is, <laughs> this is like a really cool thing we're doing right now. And then you got the kids who are just going bananas. Like I've got the greatest athlete ever here. Like, cause he threw that ball really fast. Like, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have no context to like, it was only 82 mile an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a traditional weak lefty. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of the day, um, you know, that's the stuff that goes a long ways and it lasts forever. Right. And yeah. so um, the impact of that, you know, a lot of people don't realize like Alex Rodriguez, famous baseball player grew up in Miami uh, in one of the um, boys and girls clubs there. And so he's donated a lot back to the community. But if you go through the list of professional athletes, there's a lot of them that came out of that. And it's a result of people giving back. So make sure that's a part of your policy because it's super, super important. So we spent a lot of time on the player conduct because it's the most important. No questions. Um, Let's dive into some of these other things. So uh, with the current scenario around COVID and everything else, player health and safety is definitely more at the top of the, the agenda list than it's been before. Hockey has been moving towards your own water bottles and things like that for many years. Right. So I think that's something that you need to build a policy around too. no sharing, you know, sticks, bats, equipment, uh, water bottles, et cetera. Like depending on how far this thing goes, it needs to be a part of your team policy moving forward. The player needs to sign off on it, understand it, and it should trickle through the other policies we'll talk about later. But um, 
anything health and safety wise that, you know, outside of the obvious um, from COVID and from other things that, that need to be addressed uh, in, inside of a, an athlete level policy? I, one of the biggest themes that I've seen is um, centered around health and nutrition specifically. Um, as kids are getting older, and I think from the top down, let's say, I don't know, probably at the collegiate level, they're starting to understand that these kids really have no idea uh, how to eat properly and fuel themselves. And so I think that has started to, you know, get pushed down and talk to, you know, the, the showcase and the travel teams and the travel teams, it comes down to like the rec teams and things like that, where, you know, this is how you fuel, you know, a, an athlete's diet and how can you excel when everyone is doing the same practicing and we're all, you know, doing as much as we can physically, uh, but how do you now take it to a next level and make sure that you are, you know, what else can you do outside of, you know, drills and practice and conditioning and strength is, you know, obviously the nutrition. Um, so that, I think that's one of the big ones. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned something about McDonald's cups earlier, right. And, you know, talking to your athletes and saying like, this is what's going to help you on game day. Right. And this is how you should emulate eating. And that's very tough uh, to talk to like a 12 year old about because they're really not making the decisions. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think what I've seen is having the athlete uh, addressed as well as the parents, so that when someone asks about a salad or, hey, I don't want to go to McDonald's, then it's not like, well, what do you mean? I shouldn't harp on McDonald's. There's a lot of bad, you know, fast food chains out there, right? right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that as a parent, you're not like questioning what they're asking for, what they're getting at. You fully understand, even if they're trying to dance around it, because that's maybe not how that family normally eats. Yeah. Well, and it is tricky to police, right? Because it becomes yeah. down to budgets and other things as well, right? Oh, 100%. So, yeah. But, but I think I it's just what they can do. And, you know, this is the best that we can do. We can provide them all the information. The kids have an idea of what they can do. And as you get older, right, if you're, you know, in high school, now you're going to maybe pack your own lunches now, right? right? I think that's an age where now you can have start to have a little bit more control over it. You may not buy the food, of course, but you can, you know, you can start, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's totally uh, a good direction. Most coaches don't touch for it's a bit loaded and, and you don't have for to sure. like, it doesn't need to be an all or nothing policy either. No. Right? It needs to be, I understand here's the recommended things I should be eating or, or here's the things that I can do, or here's an outlet for more information. And I have yeah. looked at it and learned and et cetera. Right. Like there's, there's different levels to that policy of nutrition. Um, I've, I've done my homework. I have used a supplier, right? I'm waiting for a team to basically install a budget, right? And this will be a higher end to start at the very least um, where, Hey, your, your annual dues also include uh, meals on delivery, right? Yep. So you're going to get your snacks, your meals for the day as part of this program. Like it, it would require a bigger budget and, and a bigger organization to pull it off. But I, I want to see that because I think there's some relevance to it. And I think to your point, certainly an area that there's room for improvement and it doesn't have to be um, what it, what any of the meals on meals to go kind of businesses that are out there. Like it could be an organizational driven. We go to the grocery store, we buy everything for the team and we distribute it through our own means. And obviously there's health and safety checks and stuff that have to go. Sure. It. Sure. Yeah. But it's certainly a plausible outcome. So maybe mm -hmm. years from now we'll get there, but um, certainly a good one. So I like that health nutrition. And I think also exercise outside of, um, game day or team outcomes, right? Because I think 
especially when it comes to weightlifting and, and general high school level exercise, right? Like you have a ton of uneducated athletes, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, like take baseball, it's a great example because baseball is a very much a quick tish, quick twitch sport, right? You don't need a lot of distance running that said there's ways to train for distance without um, leaving the quick t- twitch, you know, area. Right. And so having an understanding and a, and a guideline for, for the physical outcomes that can happen when you should stop lifting ahead of competition, all of that stuff. Again, we're getting into elite level teams with that discussion, yeah. but if you want to get there, those are the types of sacrifices you need to learn. And as a coach, giving them the tools or the avenues to learn those things, super important. So we'll leave health and nutrition there because that will be a future episode that we'll cover. I am absolutely certain of, um, let's get into social media and we'll leave the playing time one for last. Cause that's, I think the, the, one of the more important ones for me. So let's talk social media when it comes to your athletes. Um, where, where do you sit on social media here, Sean? I mean, you've got younger kids. You haven't experienced that yet as a parent but I'm sure you've seen it as a coach and we've definitely seen it from the business perspective, uh, the power of it and also the potential downside. So what, what's your things that you're looking out for in this category? Ooh, okay. Um, obviously I do think social media is a, you know, net positive, right? Mm-hmm. I think there are, are more benefits to it than, um, you know, consequences or, you know, negative, uh, things that are associated with it. But um, I think it's always going to come back to the parents and how that's, I guess, police early on and how that's kind of, uh, you know, framed. Um, So what I mean is, you know, an Instagram account, I don't think that's a great idea just to give your nine-year-old kid an Instagram account and say like, oh, it's cool because they're going to build a following and learn lots and, you know, have fun with it, right? That's a terrible idea. Right. Um, I think as a parent, it's super important to know what's going on uh, on social media. And there's you know tons of different platforms and new ones emerging and where are kids going. And, you know, I think we always see these articles about, you know, warning parents about X, Y and Z. And, you know, people are using this this way and this this way. And, you know, making sure I think as a, from a parent, knowing that you understand, um, you know, how each of them could be used. Maybe you have dummy profiles or something just so you can understand it a little bit more so that if it's on the tablet or the phone or something as a kid, you know, gets a little bit older, you can, like I said, have an understanding of what could happen. Right. Um, But like I said, I do think there are great ways to use, you know, social media. Um, You know, as we get older, we're looking for exposure and you want coaches eyes or recruiters eyes. Um, You can use it to, you know, potentially look for a, I don't want to say like team jumping or anything like that, but if you're moving to another area or if we're now looking for a certain level of, you know, playing or switching sports or anything like that, being, you know, having, um, you know, one organization's active uh, is is a good thing, of course. But I also want to see maybe, you know, what are the athletes like on those squads, right? And that's going to be harder to find or there's private profiles and things like that. But, you know, I think being able to interact with other players, whether it's within that organization or if you're a certain age and having, you know, a community around the world, right? 
engage and, and talk about things that they've learned. It kind of takes that what we talked about a little bit earlier and coaching and, you know, sharing experiences and just broadens it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I've seen that I really, really like, and I think it should be part of any social media policy that as a team, you give to your athletes, two parts, one, uh, the player needs to sign off on the expectations. So um, I'm going to, I want to get into the expectations here in a minute, but I'm going to finish this off first. Um, And two, their parent needs to sign off on that expectation. So it is a player policy, but the parent also needs to sign off on, on the player level policy for, for obvious protectionary reasons. So the thing that I really, really like though, that I've seen and I recommend is that the parent and the player build the account together. And Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases at the younger ages, it's actually managed by the parent and the kid doesn't do any posting, but the posting is done on behalf of the kid by the parent. So it is their name on the profile. They're doing everything within it. They're talking or whatever. Um, And it's a great way to do two things. One, monitor the child and two, coach them into what's the right and wrong way to use the tool, right? And for many parents, it'll be the first time that they learn how to use it themselves. So um, that's the other part of it too. So, uh, you know, as a, from a policy perspective, what are the expectations, right? So the expectations are, um, I'm going to practice one of my home workouts a week, or I'm going to only post team content or whatever. And you can have different levels for your team, right? And and for your athletes, but that's why it's important the player and the parent sign off on it because you might cross some barriers that um, some parents aren't okay with. And, And that needs to be understood as a coach. What is too far and it needs to be a part of an understanding of what your program is right because if you're um you know a grassroots little league program that just shows up and plays the game then you don't need this level of policy just don't leave it alone let it be its own thing but if you're on the development track and towards the recruiting end of the spectrum there's huge value in teaching a young athlete how to interact with the internet because when they get to be 16 and 17 in the recruiting periods, coaches are going to go back and scroll through and see who this kid is. What are their parents like? All of that stuff is part of recruiting. And so there's a whole tier of coaching around this concept. But if you can help coach the parent and the athlete at that age 10 through 13 period, the age 14 through 18 is going to be really easy. And so that's where having this policy and the expectations built is super, super important. Now, listen, There's obviously the privacy concerns. There's obviously the legalities. Like those are parent level decisions. As a coach, you can't make those. You can just ask for a guideline. So keep that in mind when you're building your policy, um, where that line probably is. And then also understand that like the legalities of things, like legal or illegal will always be legal or (laughs) illegal, right? Like you can't, you can't change that. That will supersede whatever you, you do in your policy. So First off, don't cross those lines in your policy. Um, And then second of all, know that that's not something that you should or can be responsible for. Your job is to help coach them away from that conversation in the first place. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, we've, uh, we've talked about this before and actually did a, a podcast a little while ago about all the things that could go wrong. And I think we're talking a little older ages now when you do get on that development track and you just touched on that is, coaches and recruiters are going to go back and look at, you know, 
past comments and how did you carry yourself as a 14, 15 year old now that we're applying as 17, 18 year olds, things like that, right? So we, we did a, a podcast on that with uh, an ex-collegiate baseball player or sort of graduated. Um, but I think, like I said, there are so many more benefits and you know, what we talked about is what are the policies when we are trying to put our name out there and hey, I'm looking to get recruited at this level, what should I be doing? Okay, we're looking to get, you know, recruited at this next level, what should I be doing now, right? All those things that you were just talking about there. Well, and, and also coaching them through what's private and what's not, right? Mm-hmm. I know um, there was a hockey player that just had some unfortunate stuff released. I mean, stuff that he shouldn't have said in the first place, but uh, it was leaked and he had his contract terminated as a result. So, you know, other examples include, I think it was Josh Hader of the Milwaukee Brewers had some sort of comment when he was like 14, that somebody unearthed off his Twitter account when he was a 25 year old all-star and let it out during all-star weekend. And it just overshadowed the experience for him. But those are the things that in 2020 your athletes need to think about like dumb comments can and will come back to haunt you. So, you know, there's the whole idea of cleansing your account, right. And some athletes do that. uh, But there's always the chance that somebody knows that that existed prior so sure. those Just, are the things yeah. that you have to be cognizant of and you have to protect yourself against. So, you know, it's definitely a, an area to, to pay attention to and, and build policies because there's a lot to be learned here. And, you know, kind of from the coach and organization perspective, we're entering an era where you need to actually build programming to teach your kids about these sort of things, because mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's any longer is a do what you want kind of area of this business i think it has to be top of the food chain conversation because it really will impact the the reputation of your program of your team and then ultimately obviously of your athletes who are doing themselves damage so sure um you know on social media is loaded we'll we'll cover more of that in future episodes but let's go on to the last part which is playing time um i i love playing time we talked about it already in this episode but the thing that i always did as a coach was i pulled the team first and foremost what do the athletes want? Do they want to play every game no matter what, or do they want to win? And those are different things. And you need to understand before you even ask the question, what level of ball this team's actually capable of playing or, or hockey or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I took the poll. And then once that's decided, you put it into a parental policy so that they understand it as well. So uh, you, you take, Yes or no, we want to be competitive or we want even playing time or the hybrid, which is what I often went with, hybrid of playing time all season. And then when we got into um, playoffs, whether it be in an event or in season play, then the best player played at that moment in time. And it wasn't always the best player at that moment in time. Like, you know, they could be red hot or ice cold or whatever. Those things happen. So um, that was something I always put into place and put it into a team vote. And I always recommend that one. Um, I was younger when I used that policy and I didn't do the written policy, but that's what I would do today. This is what we would do. And um, if you send me an email or a text or whatever regarding um, playing time, I'm going to put it to the, to the garbage can because mm-hmm. we've agreed to this. And as the coach, you have that responsibility to do it appropriately, no matter what. And so um, just giving yourself that backing and, and then having the player sign off it, super important. Yeah, and I think 
you know, look, looking back when I was growing up, you know, we were playing baseball and I believe it was three years at a time for each uh, age category, if I'm not mistaken. So the older groups you know, were. Yeah. Yeah. So there would be, I think it was like, you know, 14, 15, 16, you know, all in uh, kind of midget there. So, you know, for looking at that hybrid, I think it's great um, in that I, you know, as a, you know, just entering a new age category, completely understood that most of the team, you know, other than the few of us who are the youngest, were probably better than me, right? So, um, but I also knew that this wasn't a team that was, you know, heavily scouted and people weren't getting signed to D1 schools or anything like that. So I obviously wanted playing time as well, right? So I think being able to, you know, understand where your team is at and have the players, like you said, vote on it. Um, Cause I, they're probably way more aware of their skills and the team's level than I think parents give them credit for. Right. Yeah, so I, agree. I wouldn't want to walk into a situation and, you know, just be like, of course, you know, let's let the best uh, players play. We're trying to win. Of course we all went out there to win every game, but I also didn't sign up for baseball to, you know, ride the bench. Cause I knew that I wasn't going, you know, pro level right and i still wanted to play (laughs) and that's exactly why i recommend the even playing time until the championship because at the end of the day like nobody wants to be the kid that is the reason that they didn't win but at the same time they all want the chance to be uh to have that opportunity right so the only thing as a coach you have to be careful of is favoritism because it is easy to do it hey this is the team that won our last event or hey this is the team that won it um you need to pay attention to what's happening at that moment in time, right? You have to understand that, hey, this kid um, it hits righties better. They're starting a righty, even though my um, my my other other kid has a better season long average and has hit better over the last fifteen games or whatever. Uh, you need to recognize the circumstances and put that team together, no matter what. And so that's the challenge as a coach. But for sure, you you also have, the challenge can be made easier if the players are on board with the direction and that's where the, the big missed opportunity is, is to communicate and again, give that level of accountability. Listen, if you're Oh, for 20 uh, in the last 10 games or whatever uh, you're probably not going to play. Like you just, it's <laughs> that's a big zero. And, and ultimately that means you're not going to get the opportunity when it matters most. Uh, so, so those are the things they have to understand uh, and, and build out. So I, I know most coaches don't do it. They're afraid to, sometimes put it in writing, but I think you'd be surprised with the benefits you would get by putting it in yeah. writing. And so that's really what we're covering here is what you should put in writing. So we've covered a lot here today, Sean. I know this yeah. is a very, we've covered several loaded topics, um, topics that we'll cover in greater detail later, but uh, be sure to follow us on the social platforms at sport-sean for Sean. And for me, you can get me at Tourney Boss. And we're going to be putting out some of these pieces of content where you can actually download templates for these sort of things in the coming weeks and months. So be on the lookout for those sort of things. We want you to learn and and be able to put these things in place. And we're here to help you with that sort of thing. So if there's things that you've seen, please share with us on Twitter. It's the best place to get us um, for this type of topic and and share it. We'll start the discussion and, and get a bunch of coaches going on what, their favorite athlete level policies are that they've seen and uh, until next time it's been Sean and Tyler on tournament talk